Well, thank you so very much, praise team, for leading us to the Lord together in this very special time of worship. And we are so grateful for those of you that are joining us this morning. And uh, may the Lord speak to your heart today, not only through this time of singing and praising him, but as we look together now at his wonderful, inspired, and inerrant word. You know, we just had our Thanksgiving holiday, and I'm sure that you took time to thank the Lord for the blessings that he has given to you. But I have a very strange question for you this morning. Did you thank God for your sufferings? First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. We do not thank God for evils like cancer, car accidents, or the death of loved ones. Those things are never good in and of themselves. But what we do is we thank God that those things are under his plan. We thank God that he is God in spite of those things, and that he controls them for his ultimate purposes. But you know, it is still difficult in times of suffering to thank God in all circumstances. Oftentimes in our suffering, God seems so absent, and especially so when the suffering is prolonged, and it's very hard for us to understand why God has permitted it in our lives. And what we need in those times is we need God's perspective on suffering so that we can live by faith when we cannot see things clearly. Now this morning in our message in Proverbs, we're coming to chapter 3, verses 11 and 2. And we're going to be looking at a message entitled, What Solomon Says About Suffering. Now, it should not surprise us that the book of Proverbs deals with how we as the people of God ought to respond to our suffering. But what is interesting is this. Solomon only addresses this subject one time. One time in the whole book. And it's in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Now, I think the reason we understand is very clear. There is one of the wisdom books that the whole subject of multiple chapters is suffering, and that's the book of Job. And so Solomon clearly understands, I don't need to go into detail because Job has already done that. And so what Solomon does is he just summarizes the truth about suffering. And I want to tell you this morning what a summary it is. Because though it's very brief, it answers all the questions we have so that truly we can thank God in all circumstances because this is his will for us in Christ Jesus. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and I want you to look at Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. You will turn to these verses many times in your life and listen to what they say. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, the first question we can ask here is, how should we view suffering? How should we view suffering? 
And what we must realize is that suffering occurs in a covenant context. Suffering, your suffering and mine as believers, occurs in a covenant context. When we read my son in verse 11, we assume that Solomon is teaching his own son <clears throat> like he's doing throughout this entire book. In fact, my son occurs three times in the chapter, in verse 1, in verse 21, and then verse 11. So this is a king teaching a prince how to become a future king. But what we see is that immediately verse 12 enlarges this. And it becomes very clear. The Lord is the one who is the Father and the Son is every believer, you and me. Now these terms, the Lord, my Son, and Father are covenant terms. They're describing people who are in a covenant relationship with the Lord. Uh, for Old Testament saints, this would have been the Abrahamic covenant. For a, a Jewish prince, this would have been the Davidic covenant. And for New Testament saints, it is the New Covenant. Now, when the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants are referred to in the Old Testament, all of the words mentioned in these two verses are also mentioned in those verses about those covenants. Let me read for you, for example, Deuteronomy uh, 8 and verse 5. And Moses here is referring to God's covenant people in covenant through Abraham. And listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 8, 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And then if we were to turn over to 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14, there the Lord is speaking to David about the Davidic covenant. And he's talking to David and all the kings that would come from his lineage. And I want you to listen to what he says here. I will be to him a father, verse 14 of chapter 7. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men. So notice what we see. It's the Lord who's speaking. He is a father. Believers are the son. And God disciplines us. Now all four terms are here in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, this is a covenant context. And why is that so important? Because a covenant relationship with the Lord is the closest, the most endearing, and the most loving relationship anyone can enter into with their God. Now, I'm sure you know in the ancient world, the closest covenant you could ever get into was a blood covenant all of us have seen Indian ceremonies in the movies. And if an Indian and a white man wanted to make peace and become friends, they would cut a little slit in each other's wrist. And then they would press those wrists together. And they would mingle their blood with one another. And when that was finished, you know exactly what they called each other. They were now blood brothers. Blood brothers. 
They considered each other as family. And from that day forward, they were obligated to protect, care for each other, and defend each other whenever that was needed. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my what? My blood. Luke 22, verse 20. And like the Israelites were in a blood covenant through Abraham with God, so while we as believers are in a blood covenant through Jesus with God, therefore we are family with God. And God therefore has obligated himself to protect us, to care for us, and to defend us as family. So brothers and sisters, this is what this means. If suffering comes into our lives, what do we know? We know it is because he loves us and he delights in us. What do we see here in this covenant context? The suffering comes, says Solomon, to the one whom the Lord loves. It is the son or the daughter in whom he delights. If suffering comes into our life, we must always understand it is because he loves us and he delights in us. When I was in college, I had a, a professor who taught us Greek. His name was Dr. Paul Hake. And one day, uh, Dr. Hake uh, just sort of strayed from the subject, and he said something I never forgot. I'm so glad he strayed that day, and this is what he said. He said, it really burns me up when some Christian is suffering and somebody else says about them, I wonder what they did to deserve this. Dr. Hakes said, that just burns me up. Now, I was only 19 years of age. I had never heard anyone say that before, and quite honestly, I didn't fully understand what Dr. Hake meant, but now I do. Now I do. If you are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, he is never getting back at you. He is never taking vengeance upon you. He is never mad at you or lashing out at you in anger. Your suffering is because he loves you and he delights in you. You are suffering as a believer in a covenant context. And I just have to say, if God loves you that much, He is doing something very special in your life. And you must always and ever view your suffering in that way. Now, there's a second question here that Solomon answers for us. And this question is this, what are the dangers in our suffering? What temptations do we face that can make us go astray in our suffering? And Solomon says there are two. Two dangers you and I must watch out for. Number one, we can despise our suffering. Number two, we can be weary of our suffering. 
We can despise our suffering or we can be weary of our suffering. Now the word here that Solomon uses, despise, is a word that means to dislike. It refers to resentment or blame. And it means that we want nothing to do with someone or something. See, isn't that exactly what Judas did? Isn't it? When he saw that Jesus was now leading towards a path of suffering, Judas despised that path. He could not accept that this was the will of a loving God who delighted in his son Jesus and delighted in his followers, the disciples. And Judas, because he despised the suffering, wanted nothing more to do with Jesus and he betrayed him. And all of us know this morning his loss was catastrophic. It was a catastrophic loss in his life. The word weary here in verse 11 means to be upset. It means to faint or to be despondent or fretful. It is the passive response of despair. So despising would be the active response of anger. But weary here is the passive response of despair. And isn't Elijah the one who did that? Remember, he became so despondent over the opposition to him that he wanted to quit. And way out in the wilderness, all by himself, he asked the Lord to take his life. He was through with the Lord's purpose and plan for his life. And I want you to think about what he would have missed out on. He would have missed out on anointing Elisha as his successor. And you know the story, the truth, the narrative there about Elisha. He received a double double portion of Elijah's spirit, and he performed twice as many miracles as Elijah himself. Elisha had a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And yet had the Lord not restored Elijah from his despondency, look what Elijah would have missed out upon in being a part of the ministry of Elisha. Do you see these two dangers? Do you see them this morning? Giving up on the Lord in catastrophic loss like Judas or giving in to despondency like Elijah, and potentially missing out on all that God wants to do through you. I wonder how many of us here this morning that are listening to these words from the Word of God want to go in either of those directions. How many of us want to despise our suffering so that we end up with catastrophic loss? How many of us want to lapse into despair and give up so that we miss out on all that God had intended to do through our lives? I don't think there's any one of us that would say, that's the direction I want to go in my Christian life. Well, I want us to think about this this morning. What is it that will keep us from those dangers over the long haul of the Christian life? 
And all of us know the Christian life is a long haul, isn't it? We all know the truth in the old saying, a Christian is either coming out of suffering, in suffering, or going into suffering. We know it is a long haul in this Christian life. And what will keep us from despondency and anger in the midst of our suffering? Well, do you remember the question about Aslan in The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe? You recall that Aslan represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's this question in the book. Is he safe? And remember the answer. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And brothers and sisters, that is the key to our suffering. I wonder this morning, is there any believer who is watching, who is resentful or weary? Your suffering, your pain, your trial, your difficulty has become so hard for you that you are in a place of weariness or perhaps anger. Here's what I want to say to you. God is not safe. He's not safe. And the reason he sends or permits suffering in our life is because he is not safe. But he is good. He is good. And how is it that we can, in the midst of deep and difficult pain, affirm that? Well, it's question number three that Solomon answers. And that question is this, how does suffering fulfill God's purposes? Don't you want to know that in your life? I certainly want to know that in my life. Lord, how does suffering, the very thing that seems to work against me and my interests, how does that work for me? Well, the key word here in these verses is the word discipline. Discipline. If you were to look at the original language, you would discover that Solomon wrote this word first in verse 11. It occurs first in the Hebrew Bible. And what that tells us, it is the key to understanding God's purposes in suffering. If you understand this word discipline, you understand God's purposes. Now, so important is this word that 31 times it occurs in Proverbs. Most of the time, it is translated instruction. We've already seen it many times in chapter 1. But here, this same word that is translated discipline means correction. Correction. And it can include sickness and other types of suffering. Now the key, the very key to both uses of this word is to understand this. Instruction is learning something theoretically. It is learning something about something in your mind so that you understand the truth. But discipline means to learn something experientially. Experientially. And I think you know. We need both, don't we? We need both. 
Some lessons we can only learn experientially, and that's why God sends or permits suffering, trials, and pain. You see, he is a good God, and he's too good to keep us from learning the lessons that only experience can teach us. Let me ask you this morning a few questions, and I think you instinctively know the answers. Here they are. How can we learn to love our enemies if we've never had any? Well, obviously, we can only learn that experientially. How can we learn the cost of obedience if we've never had to pay a price? Obviously, we can only learn that experientially. How can we really, truly, with deep meaning, thank God for our health if we have never known sickness? How can we have faith that endures if we've never had anything we had to endure? And how can we say that virtue is the highest value unless lesser values have been stripped away from us and all we have left is virtue? And how can we learn patience if we've never had to wait in our lives? I think you know. This list of questions could go on and on and on. And we all instinctively understand some of the most important lessons in life can only be learned experientially. And God is too good to keep us from those lessons. One of the Christians that wrestled with this whole issue of suffering was C.S. Lewis. And he wrote a book entitled The Problem of Pain. And in that book, he compares the Christian's life to an artist's picture. And he says, if we as a Christian were simply a sketch designed to amuse a child, an artist wouldn't put much work into that at all. He would take his pen or pencil and he would draw out the sketch so that the child could be amused and it would not take much effort at all. But Lewis said if that artist were painting a magnum opus, what would he do? He would rub that painting. He would scrape that painting. He would do it time and time again for the tenth time. And if the painting could feel, it would cry out to the artist in pain, stop, stop, it's too much pain. And then Lewis made the application. He said when we reject our suffering, we are asking not for more love, but for less love. We are asking God not to take us so seriously. We are asking God to bother less with us, not more. But of course, absolutely of course, who in his right mind would do that? 
Who would ever say to God, love me less, don't love me more? We would never do that because we understand we are a masterpiece that God is preparing. And because he's preparing us as his masterpiece, he's rubbing, he's scraping time and time again. And there is great pain in that. But all of us know this, don't we? We all know it. He's not safe. God is not safe. And that's why he rubs, and that's why he scrapes, and that's why he does it time and time again. But we know, we know he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king, I tell you. And when we understand that he permits suffering in that kind of context for an eternal purpose that will accomplish great good in our lives, not only now, but for eternity, then we can accept our suffering with love, with trust, and obedience. Oh, may God help you today not to thank him for the evil itself, but instead to be able to say, I will give thanks in all circumstances because I know this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. And he is working out a great masterpiece in my life. And he is too good in a covenant relationship with me to make any mistakes. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank him for that right now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, wherever you are in your home or watching uh, on live stream in another manner, have you entered into this relationship with the Lord? Is he your Lord and Savior by faith with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come into the new covenant so that you are in a blood relationship with God and he considers you as family? You can do so now in your life. You can repent and turn from your own way, live in life on your terms, and you can turn to Jesus Christ. You can thank him that he loved you, came for you, shed his blood on Calvary's cross, died in your place, rose again that you might have life. And you can place your trust in him that he might be your Lord and Savior, your companion in life, your guide, the one who is walking alongside of you and guiding you into God's future and preparing for you an eternal home in the heavens that someday when this life is over, he will gloriously take you to. I urge you today to turn to him and trust him as Lord and Savior. And if you have any questions about that, you may call us here at, at Bethel in Marquette, and we would love to help you. And then for those of us who are believers and know the Lord, maybe there's some pain in your life right now, some suffering, some difficulty. Maybe you are tempted to be weary. Maybe there is some anger that has entered into your heart. Would you by faith say to the Lord today, Oh God, I know you're not safe, 
and I'm grateful that you're not. I also know that you are good. You are the king. I trust your wisdom. I, I trust your plan. I trust your purposes. And this very day, I want you to continue to have your way in my life. While I love you, trust you, and obey you in all things. Father, how we thank you today. And we're so grateful, loving you, for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.